Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We are so glad you've tuned in. My name is Ryan and I'll be your host today. Our prayer as you listen to this sermon series on the final journeys of Paul in Acts is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. We are continuing our series, Good News People in a Bad News World. And uh, looking at today what really is Paul's final words to the church in Ephesus. And he speaks to, in particular, the spiritual leaders of the church. So it's a great passage for spiritual leaders, but it's also a great passage for all of us. And the reason I say that is Paul is going to tell the Ephesian leaders, this is how you are to live. This is the values that you need to have. This is the mission you need to live for. And you need to do this in order to model it to the whole church, that the church can see living examples of what it means to follow Jesus, to surrender your life to him. And so spiritual leaders, elders, are called to be those examples. Follow me as I follow Christ is what Paul said. And that's really what a spiritual leader is supposed to look like. So it's a difficult passage that we're going to work through, but it's, it's, it's like Paul's final words, his last words to the church in Ephesus. And whenever someone says last words, we know those are important words and words to take note of. We're going to see through them Paul sharing a number of Uh, I'm calling marks of a surrendered life. A number of things that ought to be evident in the life of every believer who has surrendered their life to Jesus. The reality is that there's a number of things that happen in our life that we can't have happen and remain the same. Uh, My father was a, a goalie in hockey, and he's so old, he played in the time when they didn't have helmets or masks. And I remember... And I remember us playing road hockey with these masks that he had that finally, when he did finally wear a mask, it was like this, this plexiglass mask that he put over his head, his face. And he would get pucks to the face, a puck to the eye, I remember one time. And you can't have an encounter with a hockey puck as a goalie and remain the same. That hockey puck hits your eye and you turn black and blue. Some of you have... Uh, wrinkles, <laughs> or better called wisdom lines. And there's some of you who cannot come up here and say, I just celebrated my birthday. Paul Penny could not come up and say, I just celebrated my 25th birthday. <laughs> Why? Because of the wrinkles on his face. <laughs> You know that he has to be older than 25. You cannot age and remain the same. And that's not a bad thing. Those are wisdom wrinkles. You should be proud of those. Yeah, I am. Good. (laughs) I remember I was in elementary school. It was grade two. I don't have a lot of memories from grade two, but one of my memories is Mrs. Presley, my teacher, told me I had to stay after school. I got in trouble. And so I told her, no, I couldn't. I had a haircut appointment. (laughs) And that was a complete lie. 
The problem with that kind of lie is you can't get a haircut and have hair that stays the same. And so the next day I showed up without a haircut and she knew I had lied to her. Oh, I know who you are. I'm young enough that I didn't get the belt or anything like that, so <laughs> I did, yeah. You can't get a haircut and have your hair stay the same. And I've used this analogy before. I'm going to do this last one. Uh, we, uh, if we had a staff meeting and Pastor Andy showed up 10 minutes late and said, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. I was riding my bike up Highbury and a dump truck hit me square on going 80 kilometers an hour. So sorry that I'm 10 minutes late. Would you believe him? <laughs> He's never done that, by the way, but you can't have an encounter with a dump truck going 80 kilometers an hour and remain the same. And the same is true with any kind of encounter with Jesus. You cannot have a meeting with Jesus. You cannot have a relationship with Jesus and remain the same. It's impossible. If you can't have an encounter with a dump truck and remain the same, you certainly cannot have an encounter with the living God and have nothing different about your life afterwards. It's going to be evident. There's going to be certain marks, certain things in your life that change. Your goals are going to change. Your passions are going to change. Your love ought to change when you have an encounter with a God who so loved us that he sent his son to die for us. That's going to change us. When we're gripped by the grace of God, when we're gripped by the living God, when we surrender our life to the spirit of God, we cannot remain the same. And there's a number of things that Paul is going to share with us in these final words to the church in Ephesus where he's essentially going to say to them, here are the marks that you ought to be known for, that you need to be known for. Because these are the marks of a surrendered life. These are the marks of someone who is controlled by or bound by or constrained by the Holy Spirit. These are the marks of someone that's had an encounter with the living God, and these are the marks that need to be evident in your life for the sake of your church family is what he's going to say to them here in Ephesus. So we're going to work through this passage together. And just a reminder again that this is a, a, a note, a letter, a time where Paul is spending with the Ephesian elders, but it's for all of us, that all of us, that these things need to be evidence in our lives. These are the things that will be evident in someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus. And we're going to see Paul, after spending three years with this church, passing the torch on to them. And they're going to receive the torch. And this is essentially how he's saying, this is how you hold the torch high, by allowing the marks that, that of, of a surrendered life to be evident to others. This is how we hold the torch high. And just a reminder, the torch that we hold, we don't shine our own lights. We're called to reflect the, his lights. So just a reminder as we work through this, it's not about holding the torch high and saying, look at how great our church is. Look at the, look at the skills and the abilities of people in this church. What we as a church are called to do is hold the torch high by reflecting the light of Jesus, by saying, look at how great our Savior is. Look at us, a bunch of misfits who God has brought together. Look at how great he is, that he is doing something through us. 
This is what we're called to do moving forward. And this is Paul's last word. So let's work, work through it together. Acts chapter 20. Going to start in verse uh, 16 today. Uh, verses 13 to 15 are kind of like travel notes that talk about where Paul was going and where he ended up. He ends up in a place called Miletus. And it says this in verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So Paul is, goes to Miletus, and he wants to spend one last time with the Ephesian elders. So he's going to ask them to come up. Verse 17 says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, called the elders of the church to come to him. So here he is in Miletus, and he says, essentially, elders, come on a spiritual retreat. I want to spend one last day with you. I want to spend one last day exhorting you. And so this is what we're going to see, his exhortations he gives to the church. Says he doesn't want to go to Ephesus. And you think, well, why does he want to go to Ephesus? Probably knows he's going to want to spend longer there than he loves the people dearly there. He, he knows he's going to spend longer there than maybe he should. He wants to go to Jerusalem, it says, by Pentecost. And we talked a little bit about Jerusalem. We're going to talk about it again in a little bit. But why Pentecost? Why does he want to get there for Pentecost? We know he has an offering from the Gentile churches that he's going to bring to the saints in Jerusalem who are suffering. But why does he want to do it by Pentecost? It's because Pentecost, during the Feast of Weeks, part of that Jewish tradition was a celebration of God's word coming to the Gentiles at, uh, with, the, with the Mosaic Law kind of idea, that coming to the Gentiles. And so he wants to present this offering during that time when they celebrate God's word coming to the Gentiles. So he wants to get there for Pentecost. And there's more going on. We're going to talk about that because Jerusalem is mentioned again. But he calls up to the elders and said, I want to spend one last day with you, one last time with you gathering, and I want to impart to you some final words, some last words. And here are his last words to this church that he loves dearly, this church that he has spent three years with, longer than any other church he has spent time, this kind of, uh, spent time with. He spent time with three years with this church. And he says this, when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. So catch that right at the beginning. You yourselves know how I lived among you. What a great example for the leaders in Ephesus that he set for them, that he lived among them. He wasn't one of those superstar rock star pastors who got in front and shared in front of thousands of people, but then you had no access to him. If you want to talk to him at all, you got to contact his secretary or contacts his personal assistant, and maybe you'll get to him. He lived among them. It's, the, it's a mark of a good spiritual leader is one who lives among his people, who does life among his people. And it's a good reminder for us as a church that we need to be people who do ministry among each other. One of the marks of a surrendered life is presence, presence with the people of God. This whole idea that I love Jesus, but I don't love the church is a foreign concept in the scripture. Someone who loves Jesus is going to love his people, going to love his body, going to want to spend time with his body and among his body, not separate from them. Because he knows that the body of Christ is his gift. The other parts of the body are gifts of God to you. And so you're going to want to spend time in and among each other. So one of the marks of a surrendered life is presence. Someone who loves the people of God. And it doesn't mean that you believe the people of God, the church is perfect. We know that's not true. We're broken people. There's going to be times where you're offended, where you're hurt. But there's this also this desire to be with the people of God, to, to, to sing out together. I mean, sitting here listening to you sing, you are my treasure. And you, got, you guys belting that out. That, that is... Such encouragement to me. 
But I get to be in and among you and hear you declare out your desire to make Jesus your treasure. So one of the marks of a surrendered life is presence. And we see it right here. Paul saying he lived among them. It goes on to say, he lived among you. And then verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me uh, through the plots of the Jews. So three things he mentions here. Humility, tears, and trials. So this is the example that he has set before them. And I don't think he sang it to say, look at me, look what I did. But this is the example in his words that we see through what he's saying, that he served the Lord with all humility. A mark of a surrendered life is humility. Because when you are gripped by the grace of God, when you understand the grace of God, it leads to humility. The gospel, when applied to your life and you recognize you've done nothing for your salvation, that you did nothing to earn or deserve Jesus coming to this earth and dying in your place, you did nothing to deserve that, but that's all a gift of grace to you, that leads to humility. You can't say, look at how awesome I am that Jesus came for me. You did nothing to deserve it. And so the gospel, when applied to your life, leads to humility. Now, how, how, do, we, how do we be humble? How, and there's a number of things that happen. And a number of things are when you make a mistake, admit it. Be quick to admit it. Be willing to learn from it. It's much better to make a mistake that leads to humility than to have a success that leads to arrogance. So learn from those mistakes you make. Yes, you're going to be times when you offend someone else, when you, when, when you should have bitten your tongue, but instead you spoke. Be willing to learn from that and seek the forgiveness of the other person. You can be united again and grow together. It's all part of humility. And so we see it, the Paul as the example here, and, the, and we need to be a church that's known for our Humility. The second thing he mentions is tears, the ministry of tears. And, and I use the word tenderness for this. And there are notes online if you want to get those, but uh, of these 10 things that I'm mentioning. But number three is tenderness. The, the marks of a surrendered life is a tender heart. And it mentions here tears. It doesn't always come out in tears. And Pastor Andy, I think, is a good example of that, where Pastor Andy admits he doesn't cry. But that guy has a tender heart. If you know Pastor Andy, you know he has a tender heart. And so that's one of the marks of someone who has a surrendered life, of a, a surrendered life is this tenderness that the Spirit of God creates that within us. And I heard it said one time, it's better to give someone else a piece of your heart than a piece of your mind. So don't be afraid to come alongside someone, give them a piece of your heart. It, it, it's going to lead to times where it hurts. When you love someone else, there's a risk involved in that of being hurt. But it's worth the risk. So may it lead to that kind of tenderness, that kind of desire to walk with one another, to cry with those who cry, to weep with those who weep, to come alongside them in their times of need. It's one of the marks of someone who has surrendered their life to the Spirit of God. And then the fourth, uh, the, the fourth thing, or the third thing you mentioned in this verse is trials. So one of the marks of a surrendered life is to expect trials. And what comes out of that is this perseverance through trials and through hardships. 
that every one of us should, in our walk with Jesus, expect trials and hardships to come. That we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there will be suffering. We live in a world where Jesus says, if you follow me, they're going to hate you just as they hated me. So nowhere in the scriptures does it say, give your life to Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true and your problems will go away. Nowhere does it say that. And anyone who sold you that sold you Kool-Aid, but it isn't the gospel. Expect trials. Expect hardships. But the good news of the gospel is that when the Spirit of God invades our heart, he enables us, he gives us the strength to persevere through them. And it doesn't mean there's not going to be ups and downs and, and times where it's going to be a lot harder to get through those than other times But one of the marks of a surrendered life is this perseverance through trials and through hardships. And I think it's good to remember, and we're going to see this come up again with Paul, but it's good to remember that God uses our trials and our hardships like sandpaper in our life to refine us. Uh, The result of living in this fallen world, it's going to lead to hard times. It's going to lead to hardships, but God uses those to refine you to make you more like Jesus. And maybe the trial or the problem that you're asking God to remove right now is what God wants to use in your life to refine you. Maybe the situation that you're asking God to change is the situation God wants to use to change you. And so be willing to admit that. Be willing to see that. Ask God for eyes to see that, for the strength to endure through them. Because that doesn't make it any easier. But God wants to use those to make you more like Jesus. And he does every time. So expect hardships. Expect trials. And there's times when it looks like or feels like things are completely spiraling out of control. And there's been times over the past 84 weeks, you said, right? 84 weeks since COVID was announced. And there's been times where it feels like things are just spiraling out of control. Behind all of that, when that starts to happen, behind all of that, remember that behind the scenes is the God who is still on his throne. Remember through everything that happens in this world is the God who has not surrendered even an ounce of his authority. And who is still at work in this world, working all things together for good. And we can look at that and say, are you kidding me? How can that even be? But we trust the God who is sovereign, who is still on his throne in the midst of it all. So remember that in times when things are spiraling out all out of control. And, and no doubt that time, those times came often for Paul when he was beaten and dragged out and, and, and tried, people tried to kill him. That in those times when it seemed like things were spiraling out of control, God used those for the furtherance of his kingdom. And we can rest in that. So expect hardships, expect trials. Goes on to say, I could talk a lot longer about that. We're going to get into that again in a little bit because he's going to bring it up again. But he goes on to say, verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. So did not shrink. He did not shrink back. He didn't fear. So it speaks to boldness. So the mark of someone who's, uh, who's surrendered to the Spirit of God, it's going to lead to boldness. But boldness done in love. Because there's a way that you can not shrink back and speak in your mind, but you can do so in a very unloving way, and it does more damage than it does good. But Paul here says, I didn't shrink back. I was bold in declaring to you, 
even the hard things that were hard to hear. We have examples in the Old Testament of kings who said, I want to talk to a prophet, but I don't want to talk to that prophet because he only speaks bad things, bad things to me. I only want the prophets that are going to speak good things to me. But we need to be willing to hear the hard things. This is why God has given us the body of Christ, the church, is that others can come alongside us and speak truth into those, to be willing to not shrink back, to in love say, hey, I, I've noticed that you've been doing this, and I want to pray with you in this. I want to bear that burden with you. So not shrink back. They declare to you even the hard things, anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house. And he goes on to say this, and you see these examples. So teaching in public, house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So public and house to house, Greeks and Jews, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So he goes back and forth with these different things. And what, what he's really telling us here is encouraging the Ephesian elders to be consistent, to be consistent in their word and in their deed, to be consistent in speaking the gospel in public settings, but also in house to house, of speaking to Jews and to Greeks, to everybody, and of declaring the whole gospel, of speaking both of repentance and of faith. And it carries with it this whole idea of our gospel that we preach needs to match up with our lives. The lives we live need to match up with the gospel that we proclaim. And so the gospel, the, the words we speak, the lives we live need to be a testimony to the grace of God. And we need to not shrink back from declaring this good news. This good news of the kingdom of God, of what Jesus has done for us. He goes on to say in verse 22, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, bound by the Spirit, going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Reminds me of Abraham. Abraham, who was told to go into the land, and as he's going, I'm going to show you. Paul says, I don't know what's ahead of me in Jerusalem, but I'm constrained by the Spirit to go. But this one thing he does know, verse 23, except this, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. You think that would lead Paul to say, so I'm not going to go. We want to follow God's leading. And most of us, though, when we pray that, we, we're hoping that God's, or even thinking God's going to lead us into a place of greater comfort. But constrained by the Spirit of God, he's constrained to go to Jerusalem, knowing full well what awaits him. Persecution, chains. One of the marks of someone who has surrendered to the Spirit of God is a sensitivity to him. It's a sensitivity to the Spirit of God and a determination to do whatever he asks us to do and to go wherever he asks us to go, no matter how hard it is. Think of missionaries who have left us from our own church family, constrained by the Spirit to go cross cultures into another land, saying goodbye to family here. That's hard. And going into this land that God has called them to. That's hard, but being obedient to it anyway, they were great examples to us. A mark of a life 
that is gripped by the living God, that is surrendered to the spirit of God, is a sensitivity to his spirit and a willingness to go wherever it is that he leads us. Now, it's very important to understand that this here is speaking not of the Holy Spirit saying, don't go, but it's, it's not a warning not to go, but it's a preparation for him in his going. So this is not the Spirit of God saying, persecutions and chains await, so don't go. This is God in his grace, through his Spirit, preparing him, saying, hey, don't be surprised when this comes. And who does that sound like? Jesus to his disciples who said the very same thing to them. Don't be surprised when suffering comes, when hardship comes, when trials come, when chains come. Don't be surprised when they come. And this is Jesus' way of preparing us for what lies ahead and preparing the disciples for what lied ahead for them. Now, he wants to go to Jerusalem. It's mentioned here again. And so there's two reasons why. Then first reason why he wants to go to Jerusalem is what we've talked about already and it's been mentioned a few times is this gift from the Gentile churches to Jerusalem. Now, if that's all it was, I would think Paul could just give that offering to someone else like Timothy and he could take it to Jerusalem. But it's more than that. And it's more than that and we know that from this other letters that Paul wrote, like in Romans 9, when he says, I myself wish that I could be accursed for the sake of my brethren. So you see in that Paul saying, this is, these are strong words. I myself, I wish I could be cut off from God if my brethren, my fellow Jewish people, could see Jesus and know him and have the assurance of salvation. Those are strong words he is saying. He loves his fellow brethren deeply. And so constrained by the Spirit, he wants to bring this offering, but he also wants to, to share the gospel with his Jewish family, with other Jewish people. And it's that that's going to lead to the chains. It's not the offering that he's bringing that's going to lead to persecution. It's him not shrinking back from declaring the gospel to those he loves that's going to lead to the chains and the persecution that he faces. So those are the reasons why he wants to go. And it's just, it's a great reminder for us that being obedient, being obedient is always good and it's always right, but it's seldom easy. Being obedient to go wherever the spirit calls us, leads us to go is going to lead us often to step outside of our comfort zones. If we are always staying inside of our comfort zones, there's a good chance that we're often just trying to work within our own strengths. When the Spirit of God leads us to step outside of our comfort zones, we need as the people of God to be willing to step outside of those and say, God, I can't do this, but I'm going to trust you to equip me with what I need to be able to do it. This must be a powerful point that I'm making with the background music that just kicked in. no problem. We're called to do what is right. We're not called to do what's easy. Maybe easy, most likely it's not going to be, but we're called to do what is right, regardless of how hard that might be. It goes on to, to speak what I believe is really the central part of this whole passage and this whole, account, and this whole address that he's making to the Ephesian elders. Verse 24 but I do not account my life of any value, nor as gracious, uh, sorry, as precious to myself, 
If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So you see right here the motivation behind why he, constrained by the Spirit of God, knowing what lies ahead, he's going to go anyway. Why? I do not consider my life of any value or as precious to me except to make much of Jesus, except to run the race that he has set before me. It's not him saying, I am junk, I'm worthless to God. That's not what he's saying at all. He tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are his masterpiece, that we are his workmanship. So this is not Paul saying, my life is just junk anyway. What he is saying is, I consider my life of no value in comparison to making much of Jesus and in declaring the riches of his grace and the goodness of his love poured out on us. I do not consider my life as precious compared to that of Jesus and making him known. So think in terms of your own life. What, what, is, what is precious to you? Is there anything more precious to you than Jesus? And if there is anything in your life that's more precious to you as Jesus, the Bible calls that idolatry. So Jesus is our treasure, just like we just sang about. The mark of a surrendered life that we're seeing here with Paul is this idea of treasuring Jesus above all else. That he is who we live for. That I'd rather die than waste my life on my own ambitions and my own goals. Is what Paul is saying here. I don't want to waste my life. I'm going to give my life fully and completely to the race that God, to the, to the course that God has in front of me. And I'm going to go and be, I'm going to be willing to go whatever it is, whatever the cost, because that's where he's leading me. So treasuring Jesus above all else. It's like Paul is saying, I waste my life if I step off the course that God has for me, that I'm constrained by the spirit of God to go to Jerusalem. He has the freedom not to go. He can step outside that and not go. He doesn't want to waste his life. He wants to make much of Jesus. And he knows by him going to Jerusalem is what God wants for him. And through that, God is going to use that to make much of Jesus for the furtherance of the kingdom. And we know that because he tells the church later that very thing, that what happened to me in Jerusalem served for the advance of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So treasuring Jesus above all else. And that's really what is the motivation behind everything that Paul is doing here. Not, and, and you can see that what, what, what he treasures is not a long life. What he treasures is not a comfortable life. What he treasures is not a new BMW or a bigger house. What he treasures is Jesus. And everything else is as rubbish is in comparison to Jesus. This is what he is encouraging the Ephesian elders with. Treasure Jesus above all else. Let others see that Jesus is your treasure. Goes on to say in verse 27, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, nope, sorry, wow, look at that. My page got flipped. Let me go back. It's like in the exact same spot here too. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all 
for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so now that's an interesting line. I'm innocent of your blood. And it's this, this kind of encouragement or this exhortation to have a clean conscience before the Lord. That he... That he's innocent of the blood because he shared the whole counsel of the word of God. He shared the gospel with them. And this is a, a reminder for us that we are called to share the gospel, but we leave the results to God. It's God who, who, who changes hearts. We share the gospel. We share the hope that we have. We testify to the grace of God, but it's God who changes hearts. And here Paul is saying, I am innocent of the blood of anyone who now dies there because I've shared the whole gospel with them. And maybe a good question for us to ask is, are there, is there anyone in your life who God has placed in your life who, if they died today, this afternoon, you would go home and weep because you never once shared the gospel with them? Is there anyone in your life who would die who you have interacted with, who you've lived among, who you've lived beside, who you've worked beside, who if they died this afternoon, you would weep because you had so many opportunities to share the gospel with them, but you shrinked back every single time. You, you were afraid to share it with them. Now they've died in their sin, and now you weep. Now there's a kind of weeping that comes when you have shared the gospel with them and they've rejected it. That's another kind of weeping. And that's almost like what Paul is saying here. Like, I will weep for those who die apart from Christ, but my conscience is clean on it because I've shared the gospel with them. And so is there anyone in your life today who if they died this afternoon, they died apart from you ever telling them the good news of the gospel? It's a hard question goes on in verse 28, says this to the church, to the, Ephesus, to the Ephesian elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So again, we're seeing Paul says, I count my life as nothing to me, but now he's saying, Jesus died for me. And so the worth of that then is infinite. So he's not saying he's completely worthless, but think of the church who was obtained by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And think of, it speaks of value. And he goes on. So pay very careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. There's two things that are mentioned there in terms of watchfulness. Watch yourselves and watch the flock. And he goes on to say in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among uh, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Exhortation, be alert on these things. Remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish you everyone with, to admonish everyone with tears. So be alert. Just as when Paul was with them, wolves were trying to come in at that time, that's going to continue. In fact, it may even start to get worse, Paul says, when he leaves. So guard yourselves. And so a mark of someone who's, who, whose life is gripped by the living God or this exhortation we're being seen here is this exhortation to be watchful. To be watchful of two things, both ourselves and other believers. To be watchful of ourselves speaks in terms of holiness speaks in terms of watching our lives. 
And the sin that so easily tempts us, the sin that so easily entangles us, that be watchful of the ways in which the world draws us in. Be watchful of the, uh, of the lies the, enemies, the enemy whispers into you. Be watchful of your own lives that you can live holy lives set apart. Guard yourselves from impure thoughts. So many different things that Paul mentions that has to do with this very thing. But this exhortation to be watchful over your lives in your own holiness, but then also to be watchful over the flock. And he's speaking to the elders here to be watchful over the church, to be watchful over the flock, to guard against those wolves and the ways that they deceive, the ways that wolves will come in and draw people away from Jesus. We have to guard against that, but that's an exhortation that's not only for elders, but for everybody. For everybody to come alongside one another in love, to lock arms together and protecting each other from wolves that so easily lead us to stray. And think in terms of this kind of analogy of wolves and a shepherd and sheep. If a wolf comes in, where is the sheep the safest? The sheep isn't necessarily the safest if just with other sheep. The sheep is the safest when he's closest to the shepherd. Doesn't mean that the wolves won't attack. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, that song that we sing, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. We turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. The closer we are to the shepherd, the more that we recognize the effects of sin, the ugliness of sin. The closer we are to the shepherd, the more we can, we can see that the more beautiful Jesus is and so the less attractive the world looks to us in the pursuits of this world that we so often get entangled with. So we're called here together to be close to the shepherd and to come alongside others and build them up that they also can be close to the shepherd. So watchfulness, and then goes on to say, verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So speaks in terms of growing in Christ likeness. I commend you to God to build you up to be sanctified. The one who has given you an inheritance will carry you through to the ends among all those who are sanctified. So to be sanctified speaks of holiness. To be sanctified speaks of being made holy, of having your heart and your mind and your life conformed to the will of God. And so the mark of someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus is this growing Christ-likeness that results in their life, this growing desire to be made holy, to be more like Jesus, to have our heart and our life and our mind, all of it conformed to the will of God. We see that right here. And it goes on to say, verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, Yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all these things I have shown you. So here it is again. I've shown you. This is the example that he has lived in front of them. He's proclaimed it, but he's lived it in front of them. And I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Isn't that interesting? The last words that Paul gives to the church 
One of the last things he says is, make sure that you are about helping the weak, helping the poor, standing up for the vulnerable. Make sure that that's what you're about. One of the last things he says to them is that. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, who himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, where in the Gospels does Jesus say that? He doesn't. But just like John says, there, if everything that Jesus says was written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it. And so what Paul is giving us here is, is something that Jesus said that's outside of what's recorded in the Gospels. And I'm thankful that we have this. And, and how true that is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The example of that being Jesus, and we see it lived out here in Paul. But a mark of someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus is this radical generosity. The more you understand grace, the more generous you're going to become. The more you understand that everything you have is a gift of God. It's not yours, but you're stewards of it. The more generous you're going to be. The more giving you're going to be. Not just of your finances, but of your life. Everything you have. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Then we ought to be giving more than we're receiving. The general principle. Mark of someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus is this radical generosity. And the more that we understand grace, the more generous we're going to become. And he goes on to say this, this great kind of last few words, this kind of description of what happens next. Verse 36, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. You're not going to feel for that deep love they have for each other. Makes me think of missionaries that we have said goodbye to here in the church. And uh, one of the great opportunities I get is to go to houses when they're leaving and there's much tears that are being shed. There's deep love and care for each other. And this is how Paul feels towards the Ephesian elders, the Ephesian church. These men who he has built up, who he has done ministry with over the past three years, has grown so much, has grown so much affection towards them. So you see throughout this passage, his affection towards Jesus, but also his affection towards the body of Christ. And I pray that we as a church, that we are known for this kind of love. That we are known for this kind of love in our world, in the way that we care for others, in the, in the way that we care for the vulnerable in our city and around the world, but also that we're known in our care and our love for each other. The way that you love each other, the way that you bear burdens together. is one of the things that was so beautiful about the early church, as we've seen throughout Acts, is people like Lydia with slave girls doing life together, things that they have nothing in common. One's a wealthy businesswoman, one is a slave, was a slave, and now they're doing life together. They're caring for each other as brother and sister, as sister and sister in that case. One of the things that attracted people to the church is that love they have for each other and for the world. And I shared with you a few weeks ago that, that, example, that example, that story in history when Roman emperor wanted to do everything he could to stop the Christian church from growing. And he got a letter back from someone else saying, we can't stop them. 
We can't stop them because people are just flocking to them. Because not only do they care for their own poor, they care for our poor as well. May they know we are Christians by our love. By our love for those in this world and by our love for each other. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Father, I thank you for your word. Every time we come to it, we're challenged by it. Every time we come to it, we're encouraged by it. And I pray as we reflect on that which we have studied here this morning, that God, you would work within our heart, that you would make us as a church family and us as individuals, those who treasure Jesus above all else who are willing to say, I surrender everything I have for the sake of making much of Jesus. I surrender it all for the sake of my king. I want to reflect the love of my king in my life. I don't want to make much of myself. I want to surrender all of that for the sake of making much of Jesus. I pray that would be our heart cry together as a church family. And I pray that these marks of a surrendered life would be evident in each one of our lives. And I pray, Father, that we would take to heart what Paul says here to the Ephesian elders and that your spirit would give us the strength to apply these to our lives, especially the the hard ones where we we need you for all of this. And we pray that we'd be a people that's constrained by your spirit, that's willing to go wherever it is call us to go and do whatever it is you call us to do, no matter how hard it is, no matter what trials or hardships will come as a result, may we be obedient to what you've called us to and say, I surrender it all for the sake of my king. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's Word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless.